Happy Miércoles, Miércoles. I hope it's, I, how's your connection? It sounds like we're, we're having some troubles. Where are you? This looks so festive. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm in the house. We're in the new, um, we're in our new kitchen or we're in our new kind of uh, new part of the house we just redid here. So I got booted out of the other room. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, you got to invest in like a mesh Wi-Fi. Let, let's hope it, uh, it holds up. Be, be, yeah, is it holding up? Uh, so far, so good. I don't know. We kicked okay. it off with a uh, little issues, but um, so today I'm doing uh, Dutch old fashioned. That's unbelievable. Bottle, bottle number 30. Um, and I want to stand corrected. Um, I know we have some fact checkers in yeah. the audience usually. So Lisa Sunan actually shamed us saying that actually Japanese are known for their whiskey. And yeah. I did remember back uh, on my Tokyo trip uh, for Health 2.0 Tokyo, where I think myself, Matthew, a bunch of others, uh, Yo from Ed Pier, we were drinking some great, great whiskey. So I actually just one little fact, apparently whiskey, I looked it up, I was prepared, Jim. Right. Uh, Yamazaki was the first Japanese whiskey and uh, the production started in 1924, but the first sort of uh, uh, whiskey making was 1870. So okay. they, they go, they go way back, way back. Yeah, and what's the, what's the versus like where whiskey is, I, I think of Irish whiskey, Here, I'm going to switch Wi-Fi here. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Let, uh, let me text our guest because we're running a little bit late. I'll just talk. Um, yeah, so the shot is back and uh, looks like Jim is probably just completely checked out at this point now. I was just trying to yeah. take up time. So yeah, I was saying that here? you're now, you're, you you're now give it a restart here. <laughs> I, I was just occupying uh, space and time and saying, you know, Jim already checked out for the holidays. I know we were talking a bit um, if we should even have this today or just kind of take a break a little, but no rest for the restless, right? Um, no rest for the restless. No, I'm pretty excited about this. So we have our guest in the waiting room. Um, do you want to tee her up or what's the, what's the deal? I will tee her up. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm trying to remember, um, it must have been a, yet another JPM event. So cheers, first of all. Cheers, happy holidays. We got through, we got almost through this year. Almost, almost, almost. almost. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so the next guest um, has been in clinical trial space for now, I think half a decade or so. Um, and sorry, yeah, half a decade, uh, but she'll tell us about it herself. Um, so I'm going to invite Michelle Longmire. Fantastic. See if this. You hey. made it, Michelle. Hey guys. Hey. hey. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. No, you guys I, haven't I, met at, at the JPM somewhere. No. Yeah. Maybe? I. Well, I don't know. Yeah, you're kind of, you're the medibles. I've, I've definitely been, you guys always have the coolest t-shirts. <laughs> Thank right. you. We like to think so. We take our <laughs> swag very seriously. 
so I've definitely been at the same events as as you and your team cool. and everything else, and you're 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 well known, so your reputation precedes you. Oh, <laughs> and and I Michelle, tell my I... parents they would say it's for completely different reasons. <laughs> Um, you know, I know it's, uh, I think, where are you? West Coast, right? Oh, I love this. Yes, but, I'm on the but West we're, Coast. But we're, you know, I'm sort of sh uh, showing off my, my whiskey collection and it's already uh, I love that. I'm here. like with the Joe and the Juice, but I could completely get, you know, do something more exciting. I've got my office stash. At, up okay. to you. Yeah. Uh, completely up to you. Okay, but can why I you... quickly go see what I can find? Love yeah, it. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, love it, Hang 100%. On. <laughs> I love the idea. It's kind of very, it's very, uh, what's the word, kind of mad men. Kind of. You know what? This is why Michelle is such a great entrepreneur. She just like pivoted from, from Joe and the Juice <laughs> to some hard liquor. So, uh, or whatever she's going to find over there. In, uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. It. Exactly, exactly. I love Somebody it. would be really upset if I open this because it's a bottle of Pappy Von Winkle. It's probably like a $400 bottle of whiskey. I think you have to do you it. You know what? It's one of those years, <laughs> Michelle. It's one of those years. <laughs> oh, it is one of those years. I'm wondering. I don't even so, know where we got this. This is a really nice bottle of whiskey. I'm glad I found it. Say, save it for maybe a real occasion, not at 11 a.m. or whatever time it is. So, but well, I'm giving you permission. You... I'm giving you permission. Yeah. <laughs> So why don't you introduce yourself to our, uh, I, I'm sure many uh, who watch and listen to our show already know you, but uh, tell us all about you. Um, from childhood, I mean, we got time. No. <laughs> we got time. <laughs> um, okay, so, well, I, you know, am the CEO of Medible. I trained in medicine and I love, you know, kind of, I guess I think of myself mostly as an inventor. I grew up in a small town, Los Alamos, New Mexico, that has you know, a rich scientific kind of background legacy heritage. Um, actually, fun fact, my dad is a master falconer. So I grew up doing falconry with my dad and my mom is a plutonium chemist. So I call her my hot mama. And it was a super fun like childhood. I grew up dirt bike racing and doing science fair experiments, doing um, lots of fun things. Skiing, was an ice hockey player. And then... Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of the the backdrop. Um, yeah, in Texas. No, no, New Mexico. Oh, New Mexico. Mexico. New Mexico. Yeah. Your Wi-Fi is still going in and out. Oh, it is. No, not you, Michelle. We, oh. you know, Jim, Jim decided for the holiday edition to uh, to change Wi-Fi. It's all good. I'm getting I'm getting Wi-Fi shamed here, Michelle. Wi-Fi shamed. <laughs> it happens, Jim. <laughs> So that's a typical, that's a very typical upbringing. You know, I can picture like a falcon landing on your arm and motorbiking and <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, definitely I have this Christmas photo. I gosh, I should have featured it for today. And it's me, my brother, my mom and my dad. And my mom's like holding this evil Santa. And my dad has, you know, a massive goshawk on his arm. <laughs> and I'm like 80s out with my bangs and this dress and, you know, it's, it was an interesting existence in childhood for sure. <laughs> yeah. So like you're an inventor and like it, but I have to ask this, I want to not to cut across, but like, so the Falcons have like personalities, like do they? Do you totally. Yeah. Oh, it's really interesting. So, you know, he was, my dad's really into um, just birds of prey. And he's also someone who worked for the World Wildlife Foundation in 
enabling endangered species to breed in captivity. So he, he anyhow, he actually developed the genetic assay that was used to sex whooping cranes and birds. So he's really into, you know, enabling endangered species to no longer be endangered. So anyhow, we have these birds and they were part of this breeding program. And one of the key things is that the, the birds imprint and they will see the falconer as their spouse. And so they're very hmm. protective of the falconer and therefore they hate the falconer's wife like hate. Wow. So the personalities are extremely possessive and jealous and the female uh, falcons are very different than the, the, well, the ones that we had, you know, they would be the ones who would really fall in love with the uh, master falconer and the male falcons had a different kind of profile. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, but they were phenomenal birds and peregrine yeah. falcons are the fastest land animal and the whole fovea is positioned and they dive in an Archimedes spiral and they actually hit terminal velocity when they strike the bird. So anyway, it is super interesting and very cool. Lots of science and interesting times. <laughs> wow. So how did you then come around to Metable, right? Because I look, I, you know, while Metable is actually about falconry. Is it? I, 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 I was going to say, I was trying to make it out. You, you have your logo there. I was like, you know, this is maybe kind of looks like a falcon, but maybe not. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So then, you know, once I, um, I, I stayed in New Mexico, went to undergraduate at the University of New Mexico. Um, after uh, essentially finished with a degree in biology and decided to go to medical school also in New Mexico and then ventured out farther west to California to Stanford for my um, degree or my training in dermatology. So went to Stanford and really kind of, I realized that all along I was this entrepreneur, but didn't really know what entrepreneurship was. So in research efforts in the past, prior to being at Stanford, I always wanted to commercialize what I was working on. I had a background in nanoscience. I worked at the NIH developing novel nanoparticles. And I was the one in the lab who always said like, let's start a company, like we could do something with this. But it wasn't really till I got to Stanford and was training in dermatology there that I realized, wow, you know, there's this whole world of entrepreneurship and it's, it's not that different than the world of discovery, innovation, invention in the lab. And so it was really there where I was a physician scientist and leading up research in rare disease, you know, in the hub of kind of technology innovation that I decided, you know, a lot of the things I wanted to do to advance research would be best done um, in the setting of entrepreneurship versus the setting of academia. So went on a mission to start Medable, was still a resident at Stanford. Um, I think I had a team of engineers and I was still in my residency. But then as we started to develop it and really see the opportunity, I kind of got to a juncture where I had to say, you know, I'm going to go for, you know, try a tenure track and go for research. Am I going to, you know, really branch out and just dive in and go to, you know, see where I can take Medible. So then I left Stanford. We got some funding from a really, um, a really impressive biotech CEO. And I was able to leave Stanford and really build it out. Yeah. So, so you started, you were doing medicine research of your falconry training and your mm -hmm. ice hockey training, and then you were setting up a company, you know, obviously tons of, tons of right. I had, I had taken, you know, a break from my falconry and my ice hockey, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so what was that like? Was that completely stressful? Did you just adapt into it? Cause you have these kind of cool inventive parents or how did you bridge, 
you know. Oh my God, the whole time my parents aren't like, they're like, why aren't you just doing the dermatology thing? Like, that's a really good gig, Michelle. Why? (laughs) You know, I don't even think it was really until we'd made this most recent fundraising that they're like, hmm, maybe she's onto something. Maybe she'll actually, she has a job that could, you know, rival her dermatology. Um, (laughs) No, I, I mean, I'm still doing it. We're not, we're kind of just breaking through in a sense. Um, but it's super challenging. I mean, I think, you know, it's the thing I love about it. One of the many things I love is that it really is always different. Like I think of it as a big optimization problem at different phases, you have all sorts of different things you're optimizing for, but you know, um, that's what makes it really challenging. I also love teams. So I was a collegiate athlete and, I just love being on teams. I love working on teams and building teams. So the combination of the challenge, the team, and then specifically the problem we're out to solve um, makes it really fun, but it's definitely super hard. You know, it's interesting you talked about teams, right? Because I also look at teams. It is optimizing everybody's uh, talents, right? Um, And how do you, how do they, people work together and how do they interface and interact? So I think the combination of the optimization of a uh, where your company is at, uh, but that so much depends on the team that you build, right? And I know yeah. you guys have been um, at it for five years, but I, I, I want to jump a little bit back. Like um, while you were doing research, did Medible come up as a problem statement for you? Like how did how did Medible as an idea? How was it born? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so my research was in this rare disease called systemic sclerosis. And it's it's a disease that affects many organ systems, specifically the skin and the lungs um, as two of those. And um, essentially it has like a 90% fatality rate and it affects women in a nine to one ratio for really kind of un- mis- or poorly understood reasons. The whole disease is very poorly understood. So my research was looking at one, is there a ge- genetic cause? And, and the research really suggests that there's not a specific genetic cause that you can point to that we were able to identify. Um, the second factor was, you know, how does the environment and life choices and that not even necessarily choices, but how does our environment, the way we live impact these disease outcomes? So my research became looking at identical twins with this disease because you'd have a common genetic background. And now a rare disease and identical twins is like the rarest, you know, of uh, participants to be able to engage with. So it was really through that where I was, you know, trying to enable research with some of the rarest, you know, sets of um, twin pairs and patients in the world. And also looking at this big data problem where the specific questions were around you know, environmental context, um, in addition to clinical data. So it was really that, that I thought, huh, you know, if we could connect patients and, and also just a broad kind of awareness around mobile and connectivity being underutilized in healthcare, that we began to see an opportunity to one, just really enable connectivity through mobile. And then two, you know, really facilitate research kind of anytime, anywhere, global access, bigger data through technology. And so, yeah, those were kind of some of the founding um, ideas and kind of motivational concepts. And it like, do you find, I mean, mean, when I'm looking at, you know, looking at your website and you're talking, showing the connected patients and they've got the stuff attached to them and they're going across Mm -hmm. their connected scale. 
Like, are you, when you go and talk to, you know, big, you know, biotech companies and pharma companies and Trish, are you just like way, way, way out there? Or do you have to kind of, do you have to like bring it all back to them? You know, you know, like I just feel like in clinical research is right, just right. been a place that just doesn't run towards adopting. I mean, I, I certainly saw Michelle just show up places. I mean, I remember like seeing you in the hallway in Berlin, all of a sudden you, you showed up at Bayer, right? Like, so, right. so, like, so definitely a great I entrepreneur. Used to, I used to be a world traveler. Um, but we all used to be. I know, I know. Um, yeah, I think that really, there were certainly people in pharma, right? Like Eugene and like many um, people kind of on the innovation side who saw the value of digital and connected kind of decentralized clinical trials. Like let's say this is two years ago. And I think that the idea that there was something more there was definitely kind of beginning to be revealed or I should say the evidence. Um, really with COVID, and I'd say slightly prior to COVID, like in the last six months, in the six months prior to COVID, we started to see a lot more momentum um, around the adoption of digital. But then with COVID, once the sites really closed, you ended up with no alternative. And so we kind of went from an edge case to a main case in terms of the necessity um, of what we were providing. So there's definitely been a big shift. With that said, I do think that that was, you know, the momentum was building. Right. So momentum was building. And then, and then you're doing research in the, in the whole, in the whole, we can't say the word. We have the kind of little warrant and warning sign on the COVID. I can't see the light. You, <laughs> but, um, you don't, you don't really get penalized for anything. I mean, if you were drinking, you probably have to take an extra shot or something, but yeah, I, I don't right. think we've implemented that. So. I love it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That I need my little sign. Um, but yeah, I yeah. think the whole shift you know when you look at telehealth digital everyone is looking to enable connectivity and improve access given some of the restrictions yeah yeah but do you feel like so and you're doing work in the specific in in the in the kind of the the plague space we can't say the word but you're, right. you're doing yeah that's that's why. yeah a lot i mean you know um a number of the therapeutic trials, vaccines, you know, and interventional therapies were, have needed to have virtual enrollment, you know, in recruitment, and then also even participation be somewhat decentralized. And so, yeah, these types of technologies have played a key role in the current environment. You know, it's interesting, just even some of the nomenclature, uh, because to your point, like maybe two years ago, we were all sort of calling this virtual clinical trials. Mm -hmm. But I think honestly, in the last like six months ish is more around the terminology of decentralized. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and hence, I know you guys are also joined. We we just had a mirror on last week, uh, Mm -hmm. talking about DTRA. So, uh, is it something because you guys like, I mean, the team, it's, you can generally count it on, I don't know, dozens and dozens, few dozen people that are sort of driving this. Is the nomenclature changed or I'm just behind? <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, virtual was kind of where it started, you know, in terms of some of the, the framing. And then the FDA said like the virtual is synthetic data and decentralized is, you know, outside of a site. So I think that started to gain more traction. And I think certainly Amir and Craig have really galvanized the community with what they're doing at DTRA and helping to advance, you know, a lot of the, uh, really to drive some of the initiatives that are needed from a collaboration perspective to advance decentralized. And I guess kind of my 
perspective is that I think even the word decentralized is still somewhat not antiquated, but I would say it's only decentralized if you say it's from the site perspective, you know, it's patient centered if you start with the patient versus decentralized, which would say a reference to the former state. Right. So maybe there's an opportunity for it to further evolve. But I think that um, definitely decentralized is the accepted and kind of the, the phrase people or the terminology that people use right now. Yeah, you're right. The decentral. I mean, I, I don't want to not the DTRA kind of sounds cool. Like the DTRA. it does, right? <laughs> it sounds kind of cool. But this idea, yeah, decentralized. Because I was even listening. We were trying to pick part that definition last week. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. This whole. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Well, like, like if I was on a clinical trial, like, what do I have to live inside the clinic? What do you mean? Like, why? Do you, <laughs> right. you know, why do you go decentralized? Right. You know, like, I gotta go home at night, right? You right. Know? I, I do think it's because, you know, it's centralized versus decentralized. That's it. I mean, it's just the right. way to your point, it's like the, the involvement of it. Right. And, right. Right. and actually, if we look at clinical trials, sure. Um, you know, they start somewhere in a global organization, highly centralized and right you know, out to region. So I, I mean, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I think as, as part of uh, DTRA, Michelle, I think uh, I'm sure Craig and others will listen in a minute. So what's what's yeah? The I should tell them, hey, we need to make a math, and we need a, we need the terminology for twenty twenty one. People, what are we going with? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we can't so, keep people knowing what's happening. We've got to create more confusion. <laughs> right. But basically, the world is just going through this massive. Like the whole world is sitting on like it's like a reality show, watching these vaccines go through a trial. Right. Like we're all right. Like, even if you're not a scientist or you're not in digital health or, or right healthcare, like we're all learning. Okay, now we're you know we're releasing lots, you know, and it's being right. you know based on this, and we're studying the evidence. So this must be just like it, like what's happening with you? Is it is it all kinds of inbound? Is it just a crazy time, and you're trying to process all kinds of new opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's certainly from a business perspective an opportunity to show the importance of decentralized and um, digital clinical trials, and so. With that in mind, we've played an important role in making sure that the studies that were in flight could keep going, ensuring that studies that were being planned could leverage these new uh, methodologies. Um, you know, I also think it's just interesting as a phenomenon that you know the world knows what a clinical trial is, and I think you know really clinical trials have suffered from a lack of awareness, and right. you know only three percent of people with a given condition participate. With that said, I think, you know, as a physician, I definitely see that when a patient is really frustrated with their therapeutic options, they're looking for new options. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that this will raise awareness, I think both for patients and honestly, also for physicians to think about novel therapies and clinical trials as, an, as a source of access to new medications and, and a really important um, part of, you know, how we actually get new medication. So, yeah, I think, you know, I see it as an opportunity. I also think it's interesting in Silicon Valley, you know, like nobody was probably talking about clinical trials. Um, right. And now, you know, it's a really interesting area for investment. So definitely there's a moment in time right now that I think all of us who have been pushing for the, for a change and progress and advancement really technology being a key part of this whole thing. Um, you know, there's an opportunity for us to really to show what, you know, the benefit really is. 
So, Michelle, actually, you mentioned Silicon Valley and uh, just more mass awareness of clinical trials and what it takes and probably to a certain extent, even complexity, right? Because we have some naysayers that are saying well, they would never take the vaccine just because it was sped through without understanding. But yeah. um, I know uh, for our listeners and viewers, you also just had a, a pretty, a pretty large round of 90 plus mil. And did that, did that, so congrats, first of all, let's drink to Thank that. You. Um, yeah, okay, I'm opening yeah, my coffee. Yeah, <laughs> n- n- open it up, open it up. <laughs> like, like, I think There's something to now. celebrate, Eugene. It's not just another, what is it, Wednesday? <laughs> there you go. Um, it is Wednesday, isn't it? Um, I don't even know most of the time. I have no idea. Seriously. But, um, did, <laughs> did that, I mean, obviously, I mean, we all know as entrepreneurs, it takes time, right? Um, it, this is not, doesn't happen overnight. Um, did that round, uh, to the extent that you can and want to disclose, did that come around quick just because of this 2020, right? Um, and the craziness? Or were you already in plans and it just kind of the normal process took its hold? Yeah, I mean, definitely the dynamics of this round were different than the former rounds, like where, you know, we really were doing a tremendous amount of, you know, selling the vision versus I think some of the actual material impact opportunity. Um, And I think the business has been, you know, the adoption of digital has been growing considerably in the last two years. Um, With that said, you know, I think with COVID and really the key role that we've played in that process of enabling those in uh, flight studies and additional studies, new studies, when we went to do the funding after having closed this round earlier this year, um, you know, it was really what we were asking ourselves and why we even wanted to pursue it was there's a, a massive opportunity to make digital you know, a standard, to make decentralized a core part of how this is done. And so we wanted to be have as many resources as we could to drive that forward in terms yeah. of the entire system that would be needed. So yeah, when we went to fundraise, I mean, it's definitely the first time where the interest level was so high. Um, you know, and it was interesting because I'd heard about, you know, that other side of the table or that different part of the journey. Um, it's oddly not that much easier because like then you've got you know everyone you've engaged they're really excited about the opportunity you're really excited to work with all of these different people you know but you kind of got to make you need to make some tough decisions and um but yeah we definitely saw a level of interest that we had not seen before okay okay and and then when you're walking in with something you know that must must been fascinating for you because like even you know, the, the idea of like uh, the, the quantum, like, you know, just that step change of doing it and kind of articulating the plans. And obviously they're, mm-hmm. they're how, like, how did you, how did you break that challenge down? Like telling someone, you know, okay, here's what we're going to do with your 91 million, you know, like <laughs> buy a lot of Falcons with that. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to start, you know, we're really going to get deeper into falconry. Um, but yeah, I think, well, the good thing in a sense is that you know, you, you have a, a strong concept of where you're going to apply this funding, but you also, I think one of the beautiful things about Silicon Valley is there's a level of uncertainty that's accepted. And right. so, you know, we're not putting forward a 50 page business plan saying that, you know, this last dollar is spent here. We understand resource allocation in, you know, in the ways which we want to drive it immediately 
but we also have flexibility as this evolves to make strategic decisions. And I think that's really, really important because as we've seen in 2020, you don't know what the future state is. And we want to be, you know, we want to be the best company in the space. And we want to be able to make those strategic strategic choices when we need to and act very quickly. So um, yeah. I'd say the resourcing and the, the, you know, really what we're going after is to enable effective therapies to reach patients faster. We want our technology to be the best partner to a patient in a new medicine, period. And yeah. so, you know, I think that we're just starting to open up that opportunity and it's gonna drive access, it's going to drive engagement, ultimately enable people to pr get more value from clinical trials as patients. It's going to enable efficiency and, and ideally also advance our ability to understand safety and efficacy, therefore understand the medications earlier and better. And so that's really kind of what we're going after and that's you know why people are betting on our company. Yeah. And can you solve the whole issue? Like Eugene's doing a podcast um, on digital therapeutics. Like, are you doing studies? I'm, che I'm you cheating doing... on Jim. <laughs> She's cheating on me. Um, are you doing studies? Are you doing studies on digital? Like, are you, are some of the programs, are you studying digital therapeutics? And can you solve that whole thing? Can you solve the we whole can thing? like solve the whole thing, <laughs> Eugene. So why have I not been on your podcast? <laughs> no, I mean, digital therapeutics are definitely an important part of, you know, the whole opportunity for therapeutics. And I'd say ultimately, what is a therapeutic out to do? It's to better someone's life. And I, what's exciting about digital is it's saying, look, this doesn't have to relate to chemistry that's ingested. There's behaviors we can um, essentially prompt that drive the chemistry in our brain to actually drive better outcomes. So I think digital therapeutics are super interesting in an area certainly we're working on. I think, you know, our core focus um, has been on interventional therapies. And so how is it that we can get medicines to patients faster through more effective clinical research? But I think digital therapeutics are a massive opportunity. And as we all know, I mean, I'd say, you know, let's take it back to basics. I can only survive my job by exercising every day. That's not necessarily a digital therapeutic, but if I have a digital tool, like, you know, the coaching tool, and I think what Eugene's wife and him and Eugene are doing is super powerful. The things that motivate you to do the things that, that actually make you better, feel better, bring wellness are extremely powerful. So I'm very excited about digital therapeutics broadly. And, and, and Jim, thank you very much. For those who want to follow DTX podcast with Eugene Barovich, please go to digitalhealthtoday.com. I only have a few more podcasts left. Do, do I have the Dan Kendall voice down more. yet? Or I no? know. I was going to say, it's awesome that that's on the Digital Health yeah. Today platform. We're, we're so pretty I, convinced this is a this is a pandemic-only podcast stage. I know I did my CEO. I'll do my... I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're talking about this one? The shot of digital yeah, this health one. Yeah. therapy? Yeah. <laughs> Jim, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I think we're going to have to go a hundred seasons. <laughs> yeah, I'll renew for, I'll for renew for post pandemic. I'll commit to that today. We were just I don't know what Fantastic. Fantastic. See, we're working on, you're, you know, you're probably going to be in our book now because we're working on, oh, I can't say that yet. We're, we're no, I think we, I, I think I, you know what, let it out. Let it out. Yeah, yeah. Let we're transcribing out. all the shows and we're mapping it against Levang, oh, we're, we're thinking about the share price of the digital health companies and the case. Oh, team. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. A little, so you know, coffee can... table book. I mean, we're, yeah. Jim and I created. You know, there's a, a whole narrative on what called Wall Street bets. We could just have like digital health bets and it yeah. could be, you know, we could track it on our Robinhood app and look <laughs> yeah. at all the tickers. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I like, I like it. it. 
but you're yeah, have to but this it. whole, but when you're studying medicines, not to bring it back to digital health tech, because I was like my company, yeah. we do injectable medication management tracking, right? So yeah, so, and cool. the standards that we're being held to, like as a technology company, you know, they a lot of companies try to hold us to medicinal kind of RCT standards for evaluating a use case where it's our our use case it just they're different you know they need to be studied you need to use evidence to right. show the impact of it but it's just different like the impact like you said of a run every day um you would study right. that differently than you would a, a new molecular agent that you're ingesting right um, yeah i mean i think yes it, it, certainly the rigor well not i, I don't even say like the science the outcomes you could have equally rigorous outcomes um right. but certainly you know to your point that I guess the big difference there, in a sense, is the safety. So, you know, one of our active areas is around, of course, ensuring safety of the patients on the trial. So, yeah, I think there are definitely some differences. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, could it be faster? You know what I mean? Like this, I, you know, so you have, you know, so you take like a, a medicine and then you put like a, a some kind of digital wraparound with it. Yep. And, you know, could you do the digital wraparound faster? That just feels like it should happen faster, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that again, like kind of where, how we see, where we see our impact is, you know, the technology partner to the patient on the new medicine, right? And so I think what that digital experience um, could be, could look like, is ultimately you know, our goal is to bring value to that patient. So I think it could be a number of different things in the future. What do you think, Eugene? Jim, I think you, I think you just should patent whatever you just said before. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, you're writing my I mean, patent so I can it's, get it's, it in first. I have so many patents. We've invented I, I, a few products on the show as well. We had face head. Oh, I love we that. Had, yeah, we had, we had, we had, we had. Jim is like the patent machine. He just <laughs> way to go, Jim. I'm just trying. I'm trying to, you know, just trying to keep myself in the lifestyle I'm accustomed to. So, any, uh, any, any, um, um, any kind of hints? I mean, so you've been with Metable at it for four or five, like six? five years. Five, five years. Since um, I really kind of, you know, say it was my day job, so to speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Any, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Like I, you know, I'm back kind of with Marina as of January. It's been, you know, almost a year. Um, yeah. Fun as shit, but it's not easy, right? I mean, right. we all three entrepreneurs here. Like any right. any sort of thoughts, advice, hints to power, be power. Exercise is one big piece of it, of course. I, I yeah. need to do more of that. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really interesting yesterday when Elon Musk tweeted about these darkest days of Tesla and they tried to sell to Apple, right? So the big mm -hmm. takeaway for me, and I see this with some of my friends in Silicon Valley who, you know, have companies that are far higher profile than mine and, and are, you know, farther along in the journey that like, awesome company that was, there are so many days where this was so hard and where they didn't even necessarily know it was going to be survivable for the company. And, you know, and I think that just like, you know, is one example that tweet where Elon, you know, had reached yeah. out that he was saying that he had reached out to Apple to talk about buying the company. It was hard to even imagine that, right? But you could imagine mm -hmm. how right. hard of a place, you know, they were in at that point with Tesla. So I think, I think my big observation is, you know, figure if you can stay in the game and, and just keep driving it forward. I mean, I think about 
so many people told us no. And it was fascinating. Then I'm getting emails from them on once, you know, the round was announced, like, hey, is there still room? And, and I mean, I appreciate that, you know, in a sense, we were at a different point when I spoke to all of those people. So no criticism at all. They're making their choices. But I think, you know, you just got to stay in the game. And it's, it's never about what anyone else thinks you can do. It's 100% about what you yeah. really believe is possible. Right. And What's I would say, sorry, I was going to say, um, always focus on the champions. I mean, I remember maybe like, I don't know, four years ago, right? Like um, I saw Taha, right? Um, and he's like, you know, have you met Michelle? I mean, the team is amazing. The product right. is amazing. You know, and, and sort of focusing on the champions, I think totally. is also a big component of that. Yeah. I mean, those are the people, you know, when you're like, how do we really pull this off or like here's the challenges we're facing you know those are people who provide you that critical wind in your sales and I think that I think as entrepreneurs we could do more to provide that for one another but sometimes we're just so heads down you know pushing things forward but certainly you know we have investors and I have mentors who are also CEOs who have been so critical to just being like no you know you got it you know right. at those points when you're just like it's really hard Right, right. So I'm not a I'm not a falconer in any way, shape, or form. But I'm just like picturing it's like you're cruising, you're cruising, you're cruising. But then you just like zoom into the business model and you go in. <laughs> yeah, your velocity strikes that duck, ducking like, down. You know. Like I, I definitely think if I went on a medical trial, I'd be like sending my samples up to a falcon or something. Oh, you know, we yeah. do that. We're the only company using carrier pigeons. So, you know, and it's really just because that's the food for our falcons. <laughs> like from a, yeah. But we should have done, yeah, done this on April 1st. This I know. Particular episode. Damn it. I know. I, really? I was listening. I was showing my son, uh, Conan O'Brien, um, was doing, was going back to, you know, the late night talk show host. He was going back to um, Harvard to talk about you know, his whatever success and all that. And he just started school in University of Edinburgh. And he and his big message was, was that, you know, you're looking up at me on stage, but this is kind of an illusion. You know, this right. is kind of, this is an illusion. And that's, you know, when people see, you know, if you're thinking about like, how can I be really successful as a writer or a comedian or an entrepreneur? Right. And I think we, we kind of get really good in like Silicon Valley or Californians are particularly good at this. Like, like we, you know, um, of, of creating the illusion of success, like Elon Musk, you right. know, everything's going fantastic. And, you know, right. for people out the outside saying like, like Elon Musk was going to sell to Apple, right. like believe it, you know? Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the undercurrent or like the back, you know, the real story is that none of the, none of this stuff is easy ever. And there's just a tremendous amount of luck and there's also just a tremendous amount of stamina that right. is required. Um, I guess, you know, interest, like being in Silicon Valley kind of, you know, I don't know Elon Musk, but I know, you know, some of the entrepreneurs who had really amazing, have amazing companies, you know, is like, I don't think anybody would wants to present it as easy at all. I think that, but I do think that Silicon Valley has a way of glorifying, you know, the big successes, which of course, yeah. but yeah, I think, you know, building these companies from scratch is just, it is so hard, but that's right. also what makes it so rewarding. Right. It's the inspiration, like the two sides right. of it, it's the inspiration. You see a story of, right. someone, you know, doing something impossible right. and surviving, you know, the ups and right. downs and then there. It's funny when the, I, I was probably told you this before, Eugene, when the Irish went, so when Irish entrepreneurs go into 
Boston, you know, we, you know, we go and tend to go to Boston to raise capital, maybe yeah. to California since it's a direct flight now, <laughs> you know, or was, but they would go there and, and they, the people always loved investing in the Irish entrepreneurs, you know, if it was like a match, because they know the Irish entrepreneur would always downplay, you know, they would be like, whatever they were selling, it was right. always, it was always 20, 30, 40% better than what they were saying. And then they would look at the, you know, the, the equivalent, like well-trained, right. Know, and pitching the idea and they knew it was always 30% worse or whatever that what they were <laughs> I saying. That. I love that. I actually think my my kind of idea or concept is that is you start to see more, you know, highly biased perspective here, but as you start to see more female founded companies, you know, kind of start to surface, I think they're the what we're gonna see is that wow, these were undervalued. These were companies that had real business models and they didn't actually get a lot of the sell it on the vision at a very high valuation. And I think we're we're gonna start to see like these are really strong businesses. And because I think one of the early observations I had in fundraising in Silicon Valley is it was very hard to sell the idea. Once we had the metrics and they were, you know, irrefutable in the strength of the metrics it became something that, you know, was more appealing. But I think when you're, you don't fit the profile, you know, you it also, you have a lot more headwind and you go back and you continue to just build it out to a point yeah. where it's really very clear what, what the value is. Right. Listen, at the end of the day, it's, it's always easier to sell outcomes than ideas, right? Like, it's yeah, totally. totally. But, and, and I think that's, point. yeah. 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 Do you prefer, I mean, I, like, I prefer, I always like, I always prefer selling on the vision. I always prefer selling on the vision, you know, like I, the metrics get all messy, you know, people want details. <laughs> right. Dude, want you know, it's not April fools, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that like, you know, in, I don't know, I never really, I, there were people who bought in and, and really invested in us on the vision for sure. But I yeah. think there was a lot of early pressure to just to show the results. Right. But that, but tell me that's an end, you know, it's also like an engineer and that kind of a medical mind, you know, mindset, right. like, you know, you know, where's the evidence? What's the data saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that to me, that also feels like an important part of, you know, <laughs> yes, you have to be backed at the idea phase in right. general. Right. Yeah. But also, you know, you want to show the impact. And I think the better you can do that, that is also one of my kind of pointers or learnings of the whole thing is, you know, really have very clear data around the proof points that show the value of what you're doing, you know, and I think the earlier you have that, the clearer that is. Um, some of our, we realized that we had awesome metrics and we probably hadn't looked at them early enough, you know? So yeah, I think that you want to really get those metrics together and show that impact. And do you think female, so, so when you look at right now, and this will probably all, this will probably feels like it's changing constantly, but that, that kind of Irish, you know, kind of American is happening with female, um, you know, female male founders that they, that, that either they're not being allowed to sell on the vision or they're not selling on the vision or they're not, you know, that there's a discount, there's a discount. Yeah, I guess I think it's kind of what you were describing from the Irish in a sense was that you know, there's, there's may, and maybe it's, it's just whatever the resistance point is, you know, I think that if, if you encounter more resistance for whatever reason, you know, then you, you really, the people who are able to break through that, um, because there was more resistance, I think 
you know, there's really something to look at there. And I think that's just an important observation across categories. And I, I hope that we get to a point where everyone encounters the same, you know, resistance and that would be equality, right? This is never easy for anybody. So don't get me wrong. But yeah. um, I do think that, you know, when you look at um, the profiles that are being invested in by the single digits, those, those you know, groups have encountered more resistance. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear from the data, right? And I think that those who are able to somehow break through, and there's probably lots who are not able to, who should have, um, mm -hmm. that there are really strong businesses there. Yeah, absolutely. So stay in the game. Uh, Jim, I think you're going to have to do your video editing ma magic again. Yeah, on, yeah, on that was shelves. the team from Stokes. Really? Yeah, yeah he, we clipped him. He gave us his piece of advice, and it was basically stay in the game. There was so much stuff coming at you all the time right now that, you know, so you're, you guys are in simpatico. I love that. Yeah. That's my big thing. Just somehow stay in the game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Love it. Cool. That was awesome. Fantastic. Thanks Thank for you. joining. Thank you for that was so fun. breaking yeah. open a $400 bottle, but right. you know, Save I know. it for whoever your, for your owns team. this. If they're watching, they're like, Michelle, did she open <laughs> that bottle of Pappy? You totally deserve it. You got our permit, you got Eugene and Jim's permission. So you can <laughs> Thank it. you. I'll tell whoever owns it here at Medible that I have your permission to drink their Pappy. <laughs> and happy holidays to you guys and to yeah. all watching. Uh, and good hopefully, night. we night. leave this crazy year. Are we, Jim, are we going to do this next week or are we going to take a break? Let's decide with Michelle. Yeah, I don't know. I'm on the fence about this. You know, we, we might we might need to just take a break. Take a break. Wow. Yeah, we've been pretty wow. good. Like we've been we've been total. We lost. haven't missed a week. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> really? Every week. That's a pretty whole... strong track record to break right at the turn of the year. I know. Maybe it's, it's just like... you two taking shots. I can send you the pappies. <laughs> you know what, Jim? Yeah, no, we would do that. We would actually that. let's let's even do like a 10 15 minute episode where we're just drinking for new year's all right I mean, I love that. Okay. I think all right that's there you go happen. michelle you push this you push this into it yeah that yeah. needs to happen that's like that's how we should close 2020 right just right right just taking true. a shot and going, true, true <laughs> that. So, cheers and for those that's still with us hit that subscribe button to get us to joe rogan status yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Alan. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Happy holidays. You too.